Uh, so I don't know if you've ever played um, with uh, these toys ever or have seen the show. Um, Cameron, I know you dig some Transformers. Uh, you might know who this is. It's Bumblebee, right? He's Bumblebee. I know Colin loves some Colin loves Transformers. In fact, um, before the service actually started, Colin was showing off this Bumblebee, and he has another Bumblebee. Um, so I don't know if you played with these, but uh, when I was little, I was really into Transformers, and now Colin is too. Although this is something I, a simple one that I can understand. Some of them are so intense and intricate. I have like I have no idea how these things go together. Um, but the coolness factor, I have to admit, sorry to admit, maybe has kind of worn off. A little bit over time for me, but I remember the Transformer song. The Transformer song, like their tagline, was "More than meets the eye," and it had that cool kind of robot voice, like "More than meets the eye." It was one I, I just thought that was the coolest thing ever when I was little, because they looked like one thing. These Transformers they looked like one thing, um, like a lorry or a plane or something like that. But in reality, there was so much more. They were robots from like another planet. How cool is that? When you're five years old, when you're four years old, it's amazing. Now, in some ways. This is kind of what Easter is like. It looked like defeat. It looked because God died. It looked like he, and that was it. It looked like that was the end. But Jesus is alive, and he's alive in a new way. What looked like defeat actually was the ultimate victory. There was more than met the eye of what was first initially going on. Now, this story that we have here is also about transformation. Uh, the, when someone meets this resurrected Jesus, starts a relationship with him, they are transformed. Uh, elsewhere in the Bible, it's described as a rebirth. Another place, it says that people who follow Jesus are called new creations. And that's what this story is kind of all about. So if you've ever been tired of yourself, maybe you've been around yourself a lot more without the kind of normal distractions, if that like tires you out and wears you out, I know it does for me. If you're tired of how the world just kind of tells us to be better, to kind of get better, to go through this uh, lockdown time in, in like the best possible way, or, or if you're just kind of tired of the world full stop, which like who isn't right now, Jesus offers us a better way. And the story today that we're going to learn more about, that we're going to read together, um, tells us about what happens when we come into a relationship with Jesus. And the first thing that happens is that we are transformed. That's the very first thing that we see. How Jesus transforms us, where first we are transformed. And to be transformed it just means like a marked change in your nature, in who you are. There's a, a, a significant difference in your being, and not different than just the outward kind of things that you do, but in actually in who you are inside. If you look at Jesus' words to Saul, which, by the way, Saul is also called Paul, and that might be a bit confusing. I'm going to use those words interchangeably. It's like William being called Bill. It's kind of like he had two names that people called him by. So Saul um, thought people were worshiping a dead political hero until Jesus actually spoke to him. Like Jesus spoke to him, spoke words to him. And uh, when God revealed who he was, not as like a dead political hero, um, but the resurrected Lord, God himself, Saul didn't have words. He just kind of did what Jesus told him to do. Look at verse, um, verse 17, because this must have been terribly disruptive for Saul. He was kind of on one side, now he's on another. Verse 17 says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit here. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit after he talks to Ananias. And we've talked about what that means in past messages. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is the opposite of being filled with ourselves. It's a dependency on Jesus. 
um, it's a trust and a focus on Jesus first instead of ourselves or all the other kind of options that we have out there. And this changes our actions for sure, it changes the outward kind of behaviors that we have. But what goes on underneath the actions, it, it changes our desires because it changes our hearts. Our heart is kind of like the, 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 our center as human beings. It's like our soul, and it changes who that, who, what that looks like. So we don't just do good things, we actually want to do good things. That's amazing, and also terribly disruptive. And Saul, he gets baptized, and we'll talk about what baptism is in a bit. Um, but what we see here in this little first section of the story, how we're transformed, is that Jesus still speaks. Jesus here was quote-unquote dead, but he resurrected, and he's speaking to Saul. Jesus, through these words today, to us, is still speaking. Jesus has never not been speaking. He's still saying these words to us. The resurrected Jesus still speaks for Saul and for us. Every time we read the Bible, it is Jesus speaking to us. We may not see it as a light from heaven. It may not blind us, which is kind of nice because it means we can still kind of go about our day. But he still speaks. And when he does, that can be real disruptive. So like Saul, Jesus can change us. If you're listening to this now and you don't know Jesus, whether you're, you're on the Zoom call, whether you're on YouTube or our website or, or Facebook, if you're listening to this and you don't know Jesus, he is speaking to you through these words. And you can do with that what you will. But the reality is that you can know Jesus. You don't have to continue in and enforce the status quo like Saul did. Saul was enforcing the status quo. He need, these, this rebel group of people needed to be stamped out. And you don't have to continue in all the status quo. You can have a life of meaning as you join this rebellion. You can have a life of substance. Now, here's what the status quo offers in our, in our time. The status quo offers work hard and get stuff. And actually, that's not a real problem because you can work really hard and not actually get the stuff. And then... If, say, you do get the stuff, which is amazing because it doesn't happen to everybody, you find out actually like that stuff wasn't really as great as I thought it was going to be. Did I really work that hard for that? Like It's not really delivering in the way that I thought it would. Or maybe uh, another th- thing that we hear from the status quo is to be better off than the people who came before you, to be better off than your ancestors, better off than your family, better off than you know whatever else that might have been out there. Alain de Baton wrote a book called Status Anxiety, and in that he has this great quote. He basically says, The price we have paid for expecting to be so much more than our ancestors is a perpetual anxiety that we are far from being all that we might be. So we have this drive in order to be something more than those who came before us, or maybe even a guilt to be something more because other people before us sacrificed for so much. But the only thing that offers is this perpetual anxiety that we are not as good as we should be. We're kind of not actually measuring up. We're maybe not going to actually be better than those who came before us. And that's what we get by following the status quo. We get anxiety, we get worry, we get shame, we get loneliness. More than ever we're living in that world. Anxiety, shame, and loneliness. When the best that the status quo can offer is anxiety, is shame, is worry, loneliness, when that's the best that can offer, there must be a rebellion. There has to be a rebellion. There must be something else that's going to give us life out there. And the rebellion that Jesus leads, the rebellion that he's calling all people to, those who are near to him, those who are far away, he calls all people to this rebellion. His rebellion is one of peace, it's one of love, it's one of community through family. Something very different than what the status quo has out there. And you can join this rebellion and experience life as it was meant to be, as we are created, as who we're created to be. 
So when the scales fell from Saul's eyes and he finally could see, it's an interesting metaphor, isn't it? That the physical scales kind of falling from his eyes, but now spiritually he's seeing the world in a new way. He gets to see the world with different eyes because he had faith and this changes everything for him. He was part of the rebellion. Saul's heart has changed. And the way this story is told, when he responded to Jesus, it didn't seem to be because there was some kind of future hope, although that's true and real. He wasn't like, oh, I can't wait to be in heaven. He thought he was already going to be there. It didn't seem like he was going to be playing um, his past, like being forgiven of past sins played a big, massive role, but uh, though that's true and real. Both of those things are true. We have a great future hope, and we've been forgiven of our past. But the way this story is told focuses on one thing in particular. It's about being changed in the present. There's a nowness, an immediacy right now. There, th- that was what, what seemed to, to change Paul, to change Saul. Paul's heart was changed in the now, in the present. When we follow Jesus, our hearts are changed. We dethrone ourselves and we put the rightful ruler in its place. Now, we can know that overwhelming, unstopping love of God because he lives in us. And that changes us immediately. That gives us the ability now to live in the way that we truly want to. And it's not going to happen overnight, but it gives us a new desire, something new. And more than, than, um, than just, again, those outward kind of behaviors, it's that new desire to live in a new way. God's desires become ours because He's living in us. And so that means we get freed from living for ourselves, for living for pride, for living for money, for living for sex, for living for power. And now we get to be enabled to live for something far greater, far better. And we're still going to make mistakes, of course, but now we're no longer slaves to those mistakes. We can be something more. This is because God himself is dwelling inside of us. For those of you who follow Jesus, how amazing of a, of a, of a promise and reality is that? It's more than a promise, it's a reality. How amazing is that? That he is actually living inside you right now. And we're freed to live for goodness. Now, the Bible says that for those who follow Jesus, they become something new. Other places in the Bible says we become a new creation. We've been transformed. Jesus gives us the new heart of a new creation, and that makes us alive in ways that we've never been before. Now, I could tell uh, my story, um, and uh, I could talk more, but I would love to, to um, share about how this works out and other people's stories, because everyone, I think, in our uh, community has just you know, great things and great ways to share. So I asked uh, Rachel if she could she- uh, share. I'm just going to spotlight you here. Oh, where are you? Um, make sure you're stayed for everybody. Yes. Um yeah, so Rachel, if you could just share about um, the experience of what being transformed by Jesus uh, was like in your life. Yeah. How do I hide myself? Because I'm looking at myself. <laughs> I made everybody else look at you. Sorry. So you can't get <laughs> away from it. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thanks. Um, yeah, so when I was thinking about this, um, I was thinking about I've always kind of had this um, desire to kind of do things perfectly and quite perfectionist, a goody two shoes. Um, and often that's been my motivation for doing things. And, um, I've always wanted people to think of me as good and kind. Um, and I guess that means I just want people to accept me and see me in a certain way. And that often determined how much I value myself and my worth. And actually, that has been really exhausting. <laughs> um, and then when I think about transformation, 
I mean, I'm not saying it's all sorted um, and I'm saying it's a constant battle. Um, but I'm believing more and more that my worth isn't actually in doing good or, or people's acceptance of me because um, often that results in something going wrong um, or I'll disappoint someone that's inevitably going to happen. Um, and that then results in me feeling terrible about myself. Um, and I think now I know and I'm believing more and more that Jesus accepts me and loves me as I am. I don't actually have to do anything at all for him to love me or um, do anything at all for him to keep loving me. That's secure. And it's been really helpful this weekend, just really reflecting on, on how the cross reminds me of that. And um, before I find my worth and my value and how good I was and people's acceptance of me. But now I find my worth and my value in Jesus. Jesus loves me as I am. Um, I don't have to do anything to earn this. Um, and I, I think one thing that's really helpful, I'm like when I'm lying in bed, I'm not a morning person in the slightest. And um, whenever I didn't even have to like get up out of bed for Jesus to accept me, that's pretty amazing. Um, and actually this acceptance, um, this comes from being loved. I'm really, I'm so, so unshakably secure in the Father's love for me. And actually that now means I'm free to serve and love others. Um, yeah, it doesn't mean I, I'm free to serve and love others because I'm secure in, in the Father's love for me. Um, and I think this verse in Romans 8, 38, 39, it talks about absolutely nothing can separate us from God's love. And I actually, I have to come to God's word daily and talk to him daily to help him remind me of this. Um, as I say, it is a bit of a battle. Um, so I really need to keep asking God to remind me of this glorious truth. Um, and I'm still called to be obedient to him. Um, but that's actually done out of God's love for me. And um, in doing that, I'm experiencing more of his love. Um, so that's kind of a brief um, snippet of uh, how I, I think about how God um, has transformed me. Oh. Thanks very much, Rachel, for sharing that. Um, yeah, I think that uh, the um, it's, it's amazing to hear stories like that. And I think if we had you know all the time in the world, everyone in Redeemer could talk about that in different ways. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. How amazing is it that we get to be, as you said, like unshakably secure, like in a world that we, like very few things are secure now, but for the ultimate thing that our souls long for, which is to be loved and known and cared for by our creator, that can be unshakably secure regardless of our circumstances. It's amazing. Thanks so much for sharing, Rachel. Um, so an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, as Rachel has had, um, as those who follow Jesus have had, that changes us. And this oppressor, Saul, is changed. He, this isn't just a, a one-time thing and it ends. Um, it's a it's a one-time event that has continuing kind of uh, ripples. So it has continuing kind of effects. So we are transformed when we meet Jesus, and the ongoing relationship we have with Him continues to transform us. Continues continues to transforms to, ugh, continues to transform us. There we go. Got it. So we're transformed, and uh, we are in the process of transforming as well. The one-time event is continual effects. It's like if you drop, if you have a, a, a bucket and drop a heavy stone into a bucket, there will be that initial splash 
which will be different, and that water will be different. But then there's all those ripples that kind of go on, and um, all those ripple effects. And when we meet the resurrected Jesus, that changes us, and all these kind of ripple effects kind of continue out as we go on. And so what are some of the ripple effects that we see in this story? Um, well, first, uh, Saul, uh, he was oppressing this kind of rebel group. Now he joins this group, and he joins this family. And this is what uh, baptism is all about. In verse 17, uh, he says that uh, he um, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, scales from, s- fell from his eyes, he could see again, then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. It'd be very easy to just kind of read over that, like, oh yeah, he's baptized, blah, blah, blah. For Saul to be baptized is a uh, an amazing thing. A baptism is it's the outward sign of what's going on on the inside, inside of us. How God, So if God has changed the inside of us outwardly, the way that we celebrate that is through baptism. And the way that baptism works is in the context of a local community, in the context here in, in the church, the local church. So he is oppressing these people. Just one chapter previous, he's overseeing the death of Stephen, the first martyr. Stephen was killed for his belief in Jesus. Saul oversaw that. And now he's joining that group that he actually was seeking to kill. And he's being baptized. Baptism can be kind of, especially if you're a grown man like Saul, it can kind of be like awkward and humiliating. You're there, kind of like you're being under the water. Someone else is in control of it. You're basically saying, like, I'm now part of you guys now. And that puts him in community, because when Jesus changes us, he gives us the gift of his family. Gives us the gift of his family. Baptism is a symbol of joining that family. Now remember, Saul was filled with the Spirit, and being filled with the Spirit means we're not filled with ourselves. We aren't filled with these kind of um, empty, worry-filled news headlines. We aren't um, filled with the empty promises that a career can give us. We are filled with God himself, and that has ongoing transforming effects on our lives. So Saul joined a family, and then he uh, very quickly started talking about Jesus. In verse 20, it says, at once he began to preach in the synagogues. Now, you may not have a synagogue to preach in, but basically, like, the takeaway for us is talking about Jesus, or, um, I guess, video chatting about Jesus. I'm not really sure exactly how that works in this era. But, and then verse 28 says that he spoke boldly. Where's that? So, uh, Saul stayed with them, moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. But these Christians, um, this is something the Holy Spirit gives, by the way, to speak boldly about, about Jesus. Uh, and these Christians that he's around are rightfully so, like a bit like, whoa, like what's going on here? Like, I don't quite believe this dude because he just tried basically to kill us. Did you guys read that previous chapter in Acts where he was like overseeing killing us and now he's with us? Like, what's the deal? Is he like a spy? I don't know what's going on. People, when they come into contact with us, for those who've been transformed, getting a new life, um, that transformation will not always be met with open arms, even for someone like Saul. And Saul went on to write like massive parts of the New Testament. People might be in disbelief. People might think like, is this some kind of ruse? Is this like, like a trick? Or is this just some kind of phase? People are going to think we're weird and that we're different. And they're right. We are weird and we are different. And that's kind of the point, the fact that we're not the same. We are not the status quo anymore. And so that does make us different. But when we join the rebellion that Jesus is leading, it's not always easy. If we live a different life, we will suffer in different ways. If we're rebelling against the status quo, there will be times when that status quo is going to press in on us and will want us to become like everybody else. There will be a cost to following Jesus because people will want us to be like everything else. But of course, we're called to more. And so 
Saul spoke about Jesus, but that very quickly goes into the fact that he suffered. So he, Saul joined the family, he spoke about Jesus, and he suffered. The Greek-speaking Jews, in verse 29, the Hellenistic Jews, those are people who were Jewish but spoke Greek as their main language, they tried to kill him. That's a tough crowd. That's, you know, it's quite difficult, not quite our experience. So he's like, okay, I have to leave. I'm going to go back to my hometown in Tarsus. And Saul, you know, he's had the, these um, some travels. Here's a map to kind of give you a bit of a orientation of where Saul is at. So let me just stop this here. So here is Jerusalem down here. Let me zoom in on you. And he's going from Jerusalem to Damascus. This is the road to Damascus that Saul was on. And he encounters Jesus through there. And then he goes back, basically, down to Jerusalem. And this is where he's hanging out with people. People want to kill him. And so they send him away to Caesarea to go back to his hometown, to Tarsus, which is all the way up here, up there. That's like really far away from where Jerusalem is. So basically, Saul has to leave where he's living because of his beliefs. And he's had some travels. But Jesus, through all of this, has a plan in it all. And unlike maybe most of you, and, and Jesus has a very specific plan for Saul in this very specific kind of time. And Jesus tells Ananias this in verses 15 and 16. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. These are people who are not Jewish. And they're kings, people who are rulers, and to the people of Israel. So even to people who are Jewish as well, but not as the first priority. And then Jesus says, I'll show him how much he will suffer. He must suffer for my name. So suffering is part of that calling for Saul. And there will be more beatings ahead for Paul, for Saul. And this is just a really calm beginning, actually. As scary as it is to, you know, to have death threats and be lowered out of a basket out of the city wall to kind of escape over what the, the cover of night. But Saul is going to, be, to endure beatings. He's going to endure floggings. He's going to enjoy uh, endure false imprisonment. He's going to be shipwrecked. He'll be uh, lonely. All sorts of things are going to happen to him. I think, if anything, that shows that when we follow Jesus, that doesn't mean that our problems disappear. In fact, it might mean that more problems emerge. And Jesus is very clear about that. He's not saying, like, life is going to be amazingly and beautiful and you'll never have any problems. He's clear. He says, actually, like, you might have more problems. Um, but the biggest problem of all, which is our isolation from God, is going to be removed. And so all the problems that we experience pale in comparison to actually being able to know God on a one-to-one -one basis. I mean, when large crowds started to follow Jesus, because Jesus was very leery of large crowds, when large crowds started to follow Jesus, Jesus said this, which made a lot of people leave. He said, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, we use that metaphorically, carry my cross. This is a very specific reference for Jesus. Whoever does not come and die cannot be my disciple. So there's a lot of dying, and that feels like a lot of suffering. And of course, most of what we will experience is inward dying, dying to ourselves as we constantly dethrone ourselves. In that process of transforming, we are dethroning ourselves. So we're going to suffer. It's going to be difficult. So like, what's the point in following Jesus then? Like, why would anybody ever do this? Well, first, it's not to remove our suffering. It's not going to do that. That's not why you should follow Jesus. It's not why you should continue following Jesus. If that's the reason, then sorry, you picked the wrong reason. But there's a better reason. It's how to endure while in suffering. It's how to find a way through suffering. See, Jesus is the only person who will never let us down the only person who will never turn his back on us. 
And through the Holy Spirit, he gives us the power to always be in a process of transforming, kind of as Rachel talked about, needing to come to the Bible every day and to kind of remember and, and reinvigorate that love that's inside of us through the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, he gives us that kind of power. He gives us a power to change us from what we were, like Saul, we were oppressive in some ways, kind of stamping down the, the, the glory and the love of God that we find. We we're filled with ourselves. We get to be transformed from that to something better, part of the rebellion that is bringing new life into a dead and darkened world. That's what we get to join in with. And we're not full of ourselves. We're full of God as, as we do this. We're full of the Spirit. And the cost to following Jesus pales in comparison to the joy that we have in Him. So I asked um, Will Evans if he could uh, share a little bit of what it means to be kind of in this process of transforming, especially with his experience as a, um, as a doctor, how that affects his, um, his own life. If I can find you, Will, where are you? Hi, Greg, can you hear me? Ah, there he is. Yes, let me uh, spotlight you there. Um, so everyone can make sure they can see you. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll um, just like to know a little bit of what, what does it mean to kind of be in that process of being kind of in that ongoing process of transforming through the Holy Spirit? Um, yeah, something you said before really struck me. Um, I think it really helps put a perspective on all things in life. And, and you mentioned before about um, accepting that things in life will, will not meet up to our expectations, uh, material things in particular. Um, and, and and that really sort of resonated with me. Um, I think if you if you can if you can come to the the understanding that um, even if we do if we do achieve the things that we strive for or get the things that we, we strive for, very often they don't live up to our expectations. They don't meet our expectations. Um, and I think that that if you can come to terms with that, it really removes that that sort of that that weight of um, of, of, of disappointment, if you will. Um, I think um, for me, um, the process of sanctification has made me less materialistic. I mean, I'm not, I'm just like everyone else in the sense that I like, I like nice things. I like nice cars and nice holidays, but you know, I, I, I could probably do without them if I'm honest. Um, um, I think in terms of, um, in terms of other aspects of my life, um, Family life, it makes you um, more patient. Um, so I think that um, you become less less selfish. Um, you become more understanding with your, your children and family. Um, and you see your family life as something greater than uh, the, the sum of all parts. Um, with regards to work life, um, I think that... It helps you uh, to work harder, to stay focused, um, to work towards uh, a greater cause, which isn't necessarily your own self sense of satisfaction or, or or feedback from your work. So if your work isn't going well, you can still work hard um, and feel that sense um of, of, of joining your work even if it doesn't appear to be going how you want it um, and you can also sh you can also it also really helps me to share um in the difficult times and the suffering of other people as well 
Sorry, I mean, myself. No, that, that's really good. Thanks so much for that, Will. Um, I think, yeah, then there's so much in there. We could actually, we could just do like an interview for an hour and just talk about <laughs> what that's really like. But yeah, I think, oh man, especially like the patience, whether in family or in work or, um, and how if, if Jesus is the one who's reigning, then even while you're working and doing the good things, you're doing it out of a desire, um, not first for, for yourself, but first to actually to, it's, it's a more selfless desire it, um, that you're kind of working towards. Yeah, I mean, one thing I would mention, I think I mentioned this last week in community group, at the moment in the hospital, um, they've had to stop all visitors, even even in cases where patients are dying or have died. And there have been cases where people have died uh, alone in rooms, side rooms, on their own with no, and even if they had, you know, if they were blessed with um with loving close families the families couldn't be by the side when they die uh, and we've had to ring relatives over the telephone to let relatives know that that young patients patients in the 30s 40s have died suddenly um and I, yeah that's it's really sort of for me um made me appreciate that you know um even if you are lucky enough to have a big family there's no guarantee that they could be with you at that moment and um i think the only way that you the only way that you could um not be in a situation where you felt um true suffering and, and loneliness is is with a relationship with god oh thanks very much will thanks very much it's sobering i think um the uh reality of of our comforts kind of 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 being done away with in ways that they haven't before really brings these kind of big questions to um to the forefront so yeah it is sobering uh, if uh, you're kind of in this zoom call with us or if you're out there in the interwebs listening along if you um haven't had a time where you have actually met this resurrected jesus that we're talking about um man why not now why not easter during coronavirus lockdown to be the time where you get to cultivate a relationship with the one who loves you more than you will ever know and the one who will never leave you or forsake you i think we're all sequestered away you know away in our homes and it's it's difficult for for different reasons and some people as will kind of shared it's incredibly difficult uh but this might be the day for you to to start in this process of how god is transforming you now, for those of you who do follow Jesus, who those of you who are part of um, Redeemer, been around for a while, you follow Jesus, and are in this process of transforming from oppressor to rebel, know that the best thing that we can do as Christians is to surrender. It's not actually to get stronger. It's not actually to try harder. It's actually surrendering more and giving up more in our lives. So, and so we've joined a family, and uh, it's been great to see uh, see each other, rely on each other more. And I, I, we're just praying for more of that continu- to continue. Let's really rely on each other, like the family that we need to. And, and just in our kind of past week, where we had to be, um, you know, isolated here in the home because Christina was probably ill with coronavirus, and so we were stuck here. I, I mean, two people separately brought groceries by. It was amazing. Um, and then a- another person brought by an amazing treat that we're going to enjoy later on for food. It, it, I, that's the kind of stuff that happens when we're in a family. I know that other, others of you have experienced that as well. And so for practical needs, yeah, this is a great thing to rely on ourselves. But I think also... Um, 
for us to rely on ourselves for those like deeper spiritual needs as well, um, to be praying these kind of bigger prayers for ourselves. And I think that's one of the hidden blessings in a crisis, that we have actually been more open with our neediness as humans in, in our church, and maybe some of you outside of the church has experienced that as well. Uh, we should really continue to have people pray for us, because I need people to pray for me. And I know, because I know you, you guys need prayer too. We all need prayer. We all need it. And right now, this is probably going to be the easiest time you will ever have to talk about Jesus with someone. This will be the easiest time to invite someone to a, I guess, I don't have to use air quotes anymore, but I will anyway, a worship service ever. You just send them a link and they can join in on this. It can't be really easier to invite somebody. And when we suffer, because we will, when we suffer for Jesus' sake, which is different than just kind of general suffering out there, when we suffer for Jesus' sake, which we will, we talk to Jesus about it. And so what happens to the people of God at the end of this story? This is a very kind of intense story. It's an amazing kind of conversion story. This is not, by the way, a, this is not typical to meet the resurrected Lord on a road and he says words and you get blinded. Um, that outward stuff is not typical. But what is typical is the complete change that we get inside of our hearts for all of us who follow Jesus. So what happens to the people of God, like the church at the end of the story? What does it really look like? Let me get back to... The Bible here show where we are. Well, at the end of it, what we see, strangely enough, is a flourishing. We see a flourishing, especially if we look at verse 31, which we'll camp out on a bit here. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, so this is a large kind of region, enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and increased in numbers. Now, this is ridiculous. This church should not be flourishing, and especially that large of a region. This is like multiple days' journeys away from each other kind of places. There was peace in a time of suffering. They enjoyed a time of peace. Only one chapter ago did the church experience persecution so much that people had to flee their homes. They were religious refugees. And now, one chapter later, there's this kind of flourishing that's going on. Saul himself oversaw the first martyr, Stephen put to death for his belief, and yet now there's peace to be found. There's peace for us to be found in the, in the time of suffering that we have. And there was strength, a time of peace, and they were strengthened. There was strengthening in a time of weakness. This church was weak, just as we are weak. But it was strengthened, not because they were great or smart or clever, but because of the Holy Spirit working in them. The church wasn't strong. It was some kind of weird, small, offshoot rebel group, which should be encouraging for us as Redeemer, as we're weird and small. And yet the church was strong. We too can be strong when we're weak because of the Holy Spirit. There was a reverence for God. That's what fear of the Lord, living in fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is not to be afraid of God, but it's, it's a, a reverence and a, a rightful place of where God is, of God being this ultimately incredibly powerful being, and we find ourselves underneath Him, surrendering to Him. That's what fear of the Lord is, a way of saying reverence or respect. Then, as in now, in this story, as in our story, people are, are self-focused. That's what we can't help but be. We respect ourselves above everything else, but the path to flourishing is found when we orientate our lives outside ourselves and orientate our lives to God. And the, they were encouraged. They were encouraged by the Holy Spirit and in time of what should have been incredible discouragement. People are fleeing. Being part of the early church must have been incredibly discouraging way more than anyone would experience now today in our context here in Manchester. But it, could, it will only be discouraging if they're tied to their circumstances. 
They're tied to the circumstances. They will always be discouraged. I will always be discouraged if I tie myself to my circumstances. But if we're tied to the Holy Spirit, the way that this the church was here in the story, if we're tied to the Holy Spirit, that gives us power to be able to flourish in all kinds of circumstances, no matter what they might be. And lastly, this is maybe some of the crazier things, it increased in numbers. People are continuing to join this weird rebel offshoot group. People are being fed up with the status quo and are, are, are wanting to join this, this, uh, this family that's focused on love and, and not focused on themselves. They're increasing in numbers when they should have been wiped out. It does not make sense for the early church to survive unless there's something more to it than meets the eye. It does not make sense. It should not have survived. But Jesus is leading it. The resurrected Lord is leading it. It doesn't make sense for our church, Redeemer, to continue unless it is Jesus who is leading it. It doesn't make sense for us to advance or to grow or any kind of thing, and it ought not to unless it's Jesus who's leading it through his Holy Spirit. And even in a pandemic, the resurrected Jesus leads his church, our little family of rebels. We get to be part of this little family, this little rebellious family. Nothing else out there in the status quo can give us peace. Nothing else can give us strength. Nothing, nothing else is going to give us a, a fear of God. Everything will be kind of focused on, on ourselves. Nothing else is going to give us the encouragement that we need. Everything else will let us down. It will. It's guaranteed to. And it does all the time. And yet we still go back to it. So let's not go back to it. Let's not continue to go back to the things that let us down. And let's not look for those things to lead us. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix means a steady gaze, a steady looking at uh, and, and as we look at that thing, that actually changes our path. That changes where we're walking. It, because we're looking here instead of over here or over here or in here. We're looking to Jesus. And let's not waste this pandemic. Let's ask where God is in it. What is God doing in this? What is God doing in us as we walk through this together? Where is he? Because he's with us. He is with us. Where is he working He's never leaving us. He's never forsaking us. He's always working. He's never shaming. He's always empowering. He's always present. And he's always loving. And this is the story of Easter. This is the story of Saul. This is the story for anyone who follows Jesus. When Jesus died, he took all that we don't like about ourselves and he put that to death. All the things that we're like, oh, I really hate that about themselves. I hate that about myself. I just wish I could be better. He took all those things and more and he put those to death. All of our self-obsessed thoughts, all of our shame, all the guilt that we carry around, everything that blocks the Father's love from Him to us, Jesus took that away. He took it all. And when He died, the broken parts of us, they died as well, and never to be seen again. No longer isolated from God, but brought into real relationship with Him. Our old lives are as dead as Jesus' dead body being taken off that cross. And elsewhere in the Bible, Jesus is described as the light. Jesus is described as life. So he was transformed from life to death so that we could be transformed from death to life. And not for something merely in the future, not for something merely in the past, but for something right now in the present as we are sitting here together, as we continue on with our food together throughout this day. And when Jesus rose again, he did even more. He gave us his life. So he gets all our bad stuff, and we get all his good stuff. Not just the ability to do good, but the desire and the want and, and the, the charge to do good, to not be burdened by shame. We're now freed to love others in a completely new way. To not be burdened by guilt, we're now freed to see ourselves 
in a completely new way. The resurrected Jesus is here with us. And for all who follow him, we get to be transformed. We get to be in a process of transforming. And that allows us to flourish despite any circumstance that comes our way. Now, in a moment, I'm going to pray. Uh, and then we'll sing together. But before I do, if anyone in on the Zoom chat or anyone else out there online, if you want to take the next step in your journey of faith, uh, you have to let us know. Or you have to let someone know. I mean, why not us? We're, we're good, but if you have other people in your lives, other believers in your lives, another family of people who follow Jesus, then that would be just as good. But you can't do it by yourself. You might think because you're here alone, maybe looking at this thing, oh, I've kind of gone this journey so far by myself, like you can't. And you can't just like flit around from browser to browser to, you know, everyone's, we're all streaming our services online now. That, you have to get into a deep relationship with other people who know you well, who can call out the good things and the bad things of you, who are going to encourage you, who are going to give you the wisdom that you need, who are going to point you to Jesus. You have to be involved in that kind of relationship. And if you don't have that kind of family uh, of of people following Jesus, that kind of church, you can fill out a connect card at the link, which is below redeemermcr.com slash live and let us know that you want to do that. And if you've already done that, uh, you've gotten emails from our church, you can just reply to any of those emails and we'll be in touch. We don't want you to waste this moment. We don't want you to let it pass by if the Lord is speaking to you as he has been through his word. And if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, the next step for you might mean to join the Zoom call that we have today. It's a bit more interactive, it's getting a bit more involved, trying to get as interactive as possible in this time of physical isolation. Or maybe you want to read the Bible with someone. That's something you can do outside of a Sunday morning. Uh, or maybe you want to pray with somebody about something. Whatever You might be like under some kind of burden where you just want to learn more. You can go to the website, RedeemerMCR.com slash live. You can sign up. And if again, if you have already, just reply to any email. We're here to help. We're here to serve you. We want to be a part of this journey of faith with you. Now, if we follow Jesus, we are transformed. We are transforming. And we can truly flourish because of what Jesus has done. Jesus died and he resurrected. Easter is an opportunity to bring that into a special kind of light, a special kind of spotlight. Though every day for those who follow Jesus gets to be Easter because we always get to experience the power of the resurrected Lord living through us through his Holy Spirit. And with him, all of us who follow him, we have died and we have resurrected. How amazing is that? Praise God for that. Amen to that. Let me pray.